Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Young American. My name is Britt, and if you've been listening to the last few episodes, we've been talking a little bit about how we can make content more consistent, and some of the ways that we're going to do that is we're going to be reviewing movies and albums for you, and this week is the debut episode of Young American Music, and Andrew, John, and I are going to be reviewing an album for you guys. I'm not going to say what it is because we get into it right away, but if you already pressed play, I'm sure you already know what you're getting into right now. If you've heard of this band and this album before, then you're in for a treat because I think you're really going to like it. And if you haven't heard this album before, well, then I kind of envy you because you're going to be experiencing it for the first time and you can stream it anywhere on all your music platforms. We would love for you guys to reach out and engage us on any of the socials. You can email us at youngamericantalk at gmail.com. We're going to be getting a YouTube channel up and running pretty quickly, so hopefully you can look forward to that. It's another place that you can stream us and listen to some of your favorite episodes. Without further ado, my name is Britt, and this is the Young American Podcast. What's up, you guys? Today we're reviewing an album. This is uh, Young American Music. So you heard John and Nathan talk Young American Movies, but today we're looking at music and specifically an album. I've got Andrew and John with me. What's up, fellas? What's up? Hello. And we're going to be looking at the band Phoenix put out an album in 2009 called Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix. It's their third studio album. They are from Versailles, France. What, 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 what? Oh, God, Andrew. Why did we have Andrew on this one? <laughs> that's, also, a ver- that's, Versailles? that's Versailles, Britain. Is it Versailles? Yeah, yeah I was going to say. Old Versailles? I'll fact check all the all the French stuff, so you just go keep going. Did you guys know that they were French? Yes. yes. Like, before listening? Yes. You did know this? Yes. I mean, after I heard their first song and, like, read a little bit, yeah. Okay. So you knew. When did you find out last yeah, night? We'll, we'll well, I was, this a little. <laughs> that's fine. I I was I was listening to it preparing for this, and I blew Liz's mind saying that it was a French. Yeah, there's a but there's I had some, some there's some fun info on that. Uh, the lead singer, his name is Thomas Mars, born Thomas Pablo Croquet or Crockett, however you want to say it. <laughs> for sales, Crockett, you know. <laughs> They've got Laurent Bronkowitz and. My brother wanted me to mention how much Andrew, you and him love that I call him uh, Ludwig von Moranis. Yeah, the guy with the glasses. He's a, he's a he's the upside down version of Rick Moranis. They've got Deck De Arce on bass, Christian Mazale, and then they have a drummer that tours with them. His name's Thomas Hedlund, but I did not know this until looking into this. He is not a part of the songwriting process ever. Never has mm-hmm. been. That's always such an interesting like wrinkle for bands is like who's in the band and who plays the live music and who's like on tour and stuff like that. I've always felt bad for for example, our guy Borhoof, you know, of Manchester Orchestra isn't technically in the band. But he kind of is in the band. But like I think it's just, you know, 
They've just kind of said, hey, man, you're going to be on tour with us, but you're not in the band. I've heard that I'm Trey that Cool from Green Day does not play on any albums. He he writes mm. and he'll play the shows, but it is not him drumming if you're listening to a Green Day song, which is kind of wild. I would say that's probably, I mean, we'll, for future albums too, this this will come up, but it's probably not too... Um, too rare to have that where it's like the studio stuff. What's interesting about Phoenix is, is that the drummer's been their drummer, quote unquote, for the whole time. For the whole time. The whole time. So there must be some. Re- there must be some. Maybe he doesn't like it. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe like he hates him. Maybe he's not a not a songwriter. <laughs> he's an absolute animal, though. Oh my gosh, Chris sent. So this album came out in two thousand nine, and this album was. They are an indie pop band, and. If you've never heard the name Phoenix, you've never heard Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, the album, you've 100% been somewhere where one of these songs has played. This album was inescapable when it came out. It was playing everywhere. I remember hearing it when I was working at LAC. I would hear it in the cycling studio. You'd hear it in the grocery store. Commercials. Mm. They played it for American Airlines. They had all kinds of different things. Well, 1901 certainly was one of those songs where it's like, this is such, I mean, kind of jumping ahead. I remember first time I heard it, I was like, I don't know if I've heard a song that's as cool as this. When that synth comes at the top, I'm just like, take me anywhere you want. This is the coolest song I've ever heard. And it also has just like a really commercial relatability too. And now it's got to be like the right brand and the right look and the right style and stuff like that. But it was just like, whoa, this has like a far-reaching sound to it that I remember that's kind of one of the first things I remember hearing. It was like, whoa, this is so rad, and it can kind of go wherever you want. Right. What were you all doing? Well, I had a couple questions. One, so 2009, what's like a three-sentence summary of what you were up to? And oh what was the Jeez. what was the first time, you, like through what did you hear your first Phoenix song? Was it YouTube? Was it late night concert was it like a like a because my my so the first time i heard phoenix my brother shared i forget which late night talk show it was but they were again the musical guest on we'll just say letterman and they played listomania and 1901 and he sent me that and i was like i don't think i've ever heard anything like this i just watched that Chris says the drummer, if you watch those two on Letterman, uh-huh. it, was, the, it was Letterman. The but. drummer looks like he's in fast motion yes. when he's playing. <laughs> like he, he's, he's playing in time with the rest of them, and he looks like he is on steroids. Anyway, where was I? So 2009, I was not yet married. I was probably living in the Marble Rock house with my brother, uh, D. Wayne, Daniel Griffin, and Corey Bays. Man, what a crew. It was a blast. It was a blast. I think we quit uh, paying the trash bill at one point, so we would just throw our garbage out on the uh, back porch, and then oh uh, we had a trash mountain that we had to, uh, under shade of night, place in the Kroger dumpster with a pickup truck. Wow. Wow. I remember in 2009, I had, thank God gotten out of daffodils i was no longer working at daffodils and rose street design and i was working at talent attached tying bows 
Now I was I was done with the ribbons and the the desk caddies, and I had moved on to to greener pastures. And I was working at Talent Hatch, and I was working with Tim. These are the early days of Talent Hatch. We were doing things gorilla style, and I remember Tim said, "Hey, there's a new guy that's going to start working with us. He's a really cool dude." I was like, "Okay, who's this guy?" And in walks in Ron Cecil. Shout out Ron. I'd never met Ron, and I was like, oh, I don't know who's this guy, whatever. And first impressions was like, oh, this guy seems pretty cool. And then he goes, hey, Johnny, have you ever heard of Phoenix? And I was like, nope. And he goes, buckle up, because this is the coolest band you've ever heard. And I was like, okay, Ron, what do you know? You're so cool. And he played it. And I heard List of Mania. And I was like, wow, this might be the coolest band I have have ever. Can I have more of this, please? (laughs) Yes, please. May I have another? I was like, dude, this band's freaking cool. Like, like you said, Andrew. Like, I just, I mean, 2009. I mean, that been out of college for two years, and like my musical taste and library had had started expanding from the pop punk era, and it was like listening to new stuff. But yeah, there was just a uh, an energy and a texture and a uh, soundscape. Uh, that I just never heard that kind of music before. Yeah. You know, it feels kind of like I don't think this is like the right genre, but it feels kind of like new wavy. I guess is kind of how I would describe it. And yeah, certainly didn't listen to a ton of music by non-American artists, but I was just like, whoa! I will take as much of this as you can give me because it was it was just at the right time too. You know, like just kind of this indie rock dance club cafe disco kind of feel just getting kind of gnarly with it and and i loved it if i didn't hear it from you guys i think eric might have been the first Mm -hmm. one to plug me on to phoenix because he and i used to pass music back and forth quite a bit so shout out blt i think he was responsible for that i was also in i would i think i'd gone back to school and was at uk and i was uh going to school with my sister nathan would come over in between classes and uh Mm -hmm. hang out but uh, it would have been around, yeah, that 2010 era when it was getting big. <clears throat> I think you know, it also was one of my other first times, and Andrew, I think you were the one who showed me this, was that little like acoustic series mm-hmm. that they had where they were like riding on a bus or something like that, and that guy has like... They were one of the first ones to do like, something like that. Yeah, they had that little tiny keyboard yeah. and it had like a speaker yeah. hooked up to it, and I was just like, not only is this great music but they're just like seem to be really great musicians and to take the kind of music that they play and to strip it down that way it was just so rad to put a date i mean the date so 2009 is the date but to put a context to that date um i was a college sophomore but musically there was a lot of dancey pop yes that was like four on the floor um, Killers. I mean, in Lexington, we had a bunch of good bands doing it. Parlor Boys in Endeavors Italia. Right. So that kind of like the Kinnison. Right, yeah, yeah. Like this, this, this party, four on the floor, for lack of a better term, um, dance rock. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Phoenix somehow said, we'll do that, but we'll do it really, really, really well and like smarter than everybody else. As the French would. As the French would, and they um, did. They, if you listen, they did it better. Like, like you go see Passion Pit, and it's two people. It's two guys behind. 
like their Phoenix is a band. Like when you go and see them, it has that Mm -hmm. dance rock kind of a feel. Right. But they are a five piece band when you when you watch them. So no one's pressing play exactly, and then stepping away and letting letting a machine take care of whatever a a heavy portion of that. And if they are, it's like a preset on a Casio keyboard from 1960. And then they just, lo- you know what I mean? Like they, there was, that was like maybe one of the first times I feel like I heard people doing stuff like that. It just, it was just such a cool, cool time to stumble upon this band. And we picked this album too, because <clears throat> I think as you've heard us three, there are some bands where I'll give a listen and then I'll come back a year later and then right. I will acknowledge, oh man, I should have listened to this I missed out. I'm a year late. I'm a year behind. Mm-hmm. And I acknowledge mm-hmm. that that's on me. This, when I first heard Phoenix, which I actually first saw them because it was a YouTube video, I knew right away, like, oh, I better jump on this now. Right. Because I want, I don't want to be a year late and potentially miss what could be live shows. And I want to be in right now. And I'm glad I did because that's, I mean, this is one of the best pop rock albums. When you hit play I've heard. on it, I wrote a quote down verbatim. You guys know me well enough. One of my favorite movies is called High Fidelity. It's a movie about a guy, John Cusack, that owns an, an album, a record store. And in it, he's kind of talking to the camera, and he talks about the whole thing. He's making a mixtape, and he says, In the making of a great compilation tape, light breaking up is hard to do. and takes ages longer than it might seem. you got to kick it off with a killer to grab attention. Then you got to take it up a notch, but you don't want to blow your wad. So then you got to cool it off a notch. There are a lot of rules. The rules for making a mixtape. I'm going to insert album right here, just for my own. He says you got to kick it off with a killer to grab attention. Mm-hmm. That's Listomania. He says mm-hmm. then you got to take it up a notch. That's 1901, 1901. for me. He says, but then you don't want to blow your wad. So then you got to cool it off a notch, and that is fences. Fences. And if I just think that that quote, even though he's talking about making a mixtape mm-hmm. on a cassette, that sums up this album. Like when yeah. you and and back in the day when when albums were more of a thing, like bands tend or artists tend to release singles quite a quite a bit more. When you released an album, it was like. Is this an album that has a couple of singles, or is this right. one that you can ride from front to back? And this one, when you listen to the first three tracks, you're like, this one is going to ride out. The hook's in deep at this yes. point. Like, like you yes. can't get out. And that's what I I adore about this album because, um, yeah, I mean, some of the same sentiment of just like they come out of the gates so hot and it's so fun and it's so easy. And then. 1901 is just like again one of the coolest songs I've ever heard and and you know something that I love about this album um again like I just think they're really really talented musicians and I've never understood music theory very well I, as for as long as I took you know piano lessons and stuff like that I just got to the point where I was like dangerous enough that I stopped taking uh piano lessons because I was angsty and I wanted to be a teenager and play guitar um, but like to understand, you know, like music theory and stuff like that and like time signature changes and, and all this stuff, like I feel like they are on top of that really well. And there's so many times in this album where a song starts and then when it hits though, I'm just like, oh wait, 
what happened here? It's like they tease this little thing and like they took it from like back half the song and they drop it in over here and it just feels like all their songs are very well crafted that way and it's an understanding of music that I hadn't really heard before. And this album, like just top to bottom, I don't care. Like I'll just let it go. Well, these dudes are adults too. That right, was that was right. one thing that I, I think going back to like <laughs> yeah. the pop rock, yeah. dance rock is it was evident to me that, oh, these are, this is like, uh, I use the word elevated or whatever, but these guys are, these are adults writing music. Right. And I always, to me, they always seemed older than they probably were, which is some mm-hmm. of the allure of them. It's like, they're almost like, they seemed almost mysterious in age to me. Yeah. Um, well, Laurent Bronkowitz, AKA Ludwig von Moranis, like when you see him, you like I remember looking at him in that uh, Letterman show, mm-hmm. just being like, "Oh wow, that's a guy that's been around a lot." Right, like he's not a teenager yeah. throwing his guitar no. everywhere. He's just got right. his feet planted. He looks. <laughs> they look very confident, and they have all the guitarists have exhausted how much slack can be can be taken out of their guitar exactly. straps. They're all playing it, and up they're top. as it's as tight as possible. Guitars are as high <laughs> on their chest as possible. So like, they're just over there, it. there's something to me too about a band that doesn't really uh, and I still think this and I've thought this for a long time and it's a turnoff when a band at least what I deem is trying too hard mm-hmm. Phoenix was like the exact opposite like hey we'll, we're yeah. going to play this music for you guys we know we're not that cool but we'll let our music do the talking and like and that's then all of a sudden ex- you become freaking cool exactly what I want and that's yeah. and that's what that I had not it's kind of like when I saw the Wallflowers for the first time. I got dragged mm. to a Wallflower show as a freshman or sophomore in high school. I remember that. And I'm like, this this is what adults making music yeah looks mm. like, sounds yeah. like, and like feels like as an experience. And I thought I want more. That's that's what I want to. I want to go to more shows like that. Yeah. Um, Chris Shiflett from <clears throat> the Foo Fighters. He's got a side gig. Um, I forget what it's called, but he he plays guitar in it, and he said he. I was listening to an interview with him and he was, he was talking about um, playing and he said, this old man came up to me after a bar gig and he was like, Hey man, you guys sounded great. You know, you don't have to do that. Right. He's like, you know, you don't have to like, just like peacock around there and like throw your all over the place. He's like, you can just play. And he said there was something so freeing to him about just like not having to <laughs> yeah. perform in front of everybody. He was just like, right. okay, I'll I'll just chill out. One of the coolest things that they do, and I've seen them do it every time they play 1901, they do this thing that we used to do in Woodbine, and I don't even think I noticed it until I saw them do it, is when they get to that like musical break after the second chorus, Fallen, fallen, and then it goes dun 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 dun. dun, dun, They all gather up around the drums, and it Mm. look when you Mm. see it, it looks like they're in a basement. It looks like they're in somebody's bedroom, and they just all crowd around him, and they're just like rocking out, and then they they split from there. Which is, I when I saw that, I was like, that's a band a that's been around for Mm -hmm. a long time. They know each other, and they're just having a blast up there. Do you guys like? They've got these musical interludes after those those first three. Are yes. You, do you guys like musical give interludes? Love. Give me love like love. a sunset. Part two. At, give th- both. Both. Yes. All the time. Every time. Give me three. I. I mean, it, I don't. <laughs> I don't much care for instrumental. 
I would say on average, I don't I don't gravitate towards instrumental music. However, Love Like a Sunset Part One and Two, absolutely. It's just like Part One is lyricless, nothing, and then Part Two. Correct. Part Two's Part One is the little line. Yeah, it's longer. Part Two is shorter. But it is everything that I want an instrumental called an interlude to be. I think, do you all think it, in terms of where it pops up in the album, I could maybe take it a little bit later? Yeah, it's funny that three songs in, you go, hey, I'm going to hit him with a experimental instrumental track that's not exactly short. Right. Like like a sunset, the first one is, is almost six minutes. But it like, builds, it, it builds oh, so, so much good. tension. It does this thing where it so like... Good. It makes you uncomfortable almost because it's this dissonant and funny because Pedro does the same thing. It builds this tension, and then mm-hmm. the character of 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 the second part of the instrumental is this major, kind of yeah. like joyful, uh, happy, right, like like, a reprieve. like yeah. victorious, and yeah. I'll run through a wall for like yeah. if I if I'll run through a wall because of an instrumental track, I'll do anything, <laughs> and and they succeeded in. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a perfect, even more than let's say, uh, the blank interlude yeah. in self-titled, which mm. I can skip. I will not skip "Love Like a Sunset." Well, yeah. I, I've sunk my teeth into the Appleseed cast long, long, long ago, so I am all for a yeah. musical interlude when you give it to me. Would you guys like me to possibly ruin that song for you just a little bit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh no. So you played it for some quest video. You linked it in there. Hundred percent, one hundred percent. It was the what music. montage was it, John? It was not a montage. It was for like a walk up, like a series walk up. And I asked Josh Watkins, Josh, if you're listening, hello. Um, I asked him if he possibly still had this because he made this like really amazing like 3D animation of this crown. The series was called, you know. Days and Nights of Jesus, or something like that. <laughs> That's my but king. it was, <laughs> but it was this three dimensional crown of thorns, and it was like hopping all around it. There's like blood splatters and stuff like that. Very 2090. And then we put these um, quotes from Billy Graham over top of it, and we were just like, "Man, we need a really good track to use." And this was like a day and age of like pirated music was lord, and no one was doing any sort of copyright infringement or nothing. So I was just like, "Hmm," or I mean, they probably were. We just didn't abide. The hammer was coming down yet. Yeah, no one cared about us. Um, but I was like, hey, I kind of have this track. This instrumental track could be kind of fo- cool. We drop it in. And it's kind of one of those things where like, you drop it in. You don't really move anything around. You just drop it in. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, it works. Like the timing, like the beats of it. And it's just like, it's that, that part track one that was so two. gritty. Part one. Uh, so like gritty and it's just like, like so many of these like different like these like weird dissonant sounds and it worked really well and it's kind of just like the funny wrinkle whenever i hear that song i'm just like oh billy graham oh days and nights of jesus thorn but um i agree i I think that song is is so gnarly sorry to ruin it for you guys yeah you kind of ruined it for me now skip the track are there any albums that you all can think of where your favorite song is the last one murder of Mm -hmm. one Counting Crows, September, and everything after. Okay. I mean, only in dreams, it in a bad last song. That's true. Because I will, I will give my life to our uh, mistress. Will you really? I, you like the last track on this one? That not e- no, not even like like our mistress <laughs> to me is the perfect example of 
like we've got you this far and there's this like angsty i keep Mm -hmm. the word Mm -hmm. tension just comes to mind in the same way that love like a sunset part one makes you feel unsettled um almost like itchy kind of like things aren't in place and then the chorus just like is this sing along scream along whatever um and then it goes but and we'll get into this but the if you are a guitar player and you're trying to figure out how to play with clean tones Hmm. You have yeah. to listen to this Cue album this nonstop, start to finish, and and it's I mean it's gospel for clean guitar tones. Yeah, there is not a better that I can think of. I'm sure, I mean I suck at guitar, but somebody maybe you'll think of a better example. But the clean tones and the texture mm-hmm. that those two guys provide to the music is, in my opinion, unparalleled. Yeah, it's like the especially on this album there's like this characteristic that I can't really describe other than saying it's like kind of like plinky. It's like, like that's kind of just like the rhythms and the, like the, how they like pick it and how, like what pickups they use, like what bridge position on their guitar. It's just very plicky plunky. And I love it. And that's why maybe like on love, like a sunset Two, it's like one of the first time you hear like a big strum, like down, 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 and the other times, like in the whole album, it's just like very picky. <laughs> Cole Clark has like a word for that. I remember when we were recording, he like because he does not like this style of recording or the style yeah. of playing, like Bad Sons, Phoenix, things mm-hmm. like that. He, he he called it like uh like the deep end of a pool or something pool or I forget what word it was, what phrase, hmm. but like some kind of underwater word hmm. that he used for hmm. it. Texturally, it reminds me of like a like a um, not a bell, but like a what am I thinking of? Like you're hitting something with a mallet, like one of those. What's the yeah. big like bar xylophone. xylophone? Yeah, like a big. There's a name for the ones that are extremely large and used in yeah. like marching bands, but it reminds yeah. me of that texturally, where yeah. it's you mm-hmm. can't. There's almost no gain on it, but it's loud, and they're both working off of each other, both of the guitars are working off of each other to make this, yeah, plinky kind of... Yeah. Yeah, Andrew, maybe this is why you like clean tones so much. No reverbs, no delays. It's just clean. A clean guitar it is, it's, but they do, but it's not... Yeah, the guitars are clean, and they ha- they let, they let... I guess the bassist does play some synth, but... Yeah, there's a lot of keys work. For sure. That's so good. John, I've got some interesting facts that I don't really know where to shoehorn them in, but I wanted to share them with you, especially since John, since Andrew has been making fun of your shirt before we started this thing. Oh, uh, Thomas Mars blue shirt. Thomas Mars. Do you know about <laughs> Thomas's blue shirt? Had some Facebook account. No. Do you know about it? So if no. you see him, especially not so much yeah. anymore, but if you see him in this era yep. when this album came out, 2009, he is every single time you see him. He is wearing oh. this like blue Oxford looking shirt. And in a, I looked in a couple of interviews and he had like two of these originally, two of these yeah. shirts. And he said he originally had a really, really good show in one of these shirts. And for mm. some maybe superstitious reasons, maybe yeah. good luck charm, whatever, he decided to keep wearing this shirt. Also, I would add, he wears these boots called 
Sartori boots, and he got one of them because he crowd surfs a lot and lets the crowd sing. He had yeah. one of his boots stripped off his body, never to be found <laughs> again. So he, to this day, tapes his boots to his feet. Wow, that's amazing. But he had this shirt, and he like he was showing it, and it's got like staples in the like the buttonholes, like where huh. where like people had ripped it when he was like going into the crowd and stuff like that. Jeez. And so he went and found a tailor and he had like 10 of these shirts. I freaking specially love made. that. I love shit like so that. So if you go and you watch him in this era. I love that. The whole band, like when you watch him on SNL, mm-hmm. they play Listomania and they play 1901. The whole band has changed clothes. Except for, for Thomas. Thomas is wearing the same damn shirt. And it's probably and he can't get the, the boots off because they're taped, they're gaff taped to his legs. When he takes but a it's, shower, it's the boots on exactly. and the shirt on. I Liz and I have this thing. Um, I, I've asked her occasionally. I'll say to her, I'll, I'll be like, that's your, like when she's got a, like an outfit that she likes, I'll be like, that's your Doug Funny outfit. That's your cartoon character outfit. <laughs> it's Doug like, funny. that's like the outfit that mm-hmm. you always see the character wearing. It's yeah. so bizarre because Thomas Mars from Phoenix has an outfit like this that he just always mind. wears. I wouldn't mind finding that. You know, like I enjoy wearing a bunch of different stuff, but if I was just like, this is just what I'm going to wear forever. It must be so free. You would not just, do that. <laughs> You I would, would not do that. I believe I that you totally shoes. would do that. I think you would totally do that. I would do it, but I'd want to change my shoes. Mm. I would. You totally would. Andy. I That'd would. I would a hundred percent do it. In fact, to a great teaching shoe. <laughs> <laughs> it's brown. It's comfortable, and yet also <laughs> is educational. Do you guys have? And any, you can approach things. Do you have any favorite tracks? I hate to be a dud, We've man, but I love nineteen oh one. I think that it's would be so mine. Good. It's so good. And coming out of the gate, those songs are so good. I will say, if I'm getting past the first two songs, I think Lasso is unbelievable. Like, the drums... The drums almost sound like the beginning of, like, a Maylene song or something. Like, you think it's going to be some hardcore song, and then it's just... Like, it's so good. And what I love about... This sounds almost like I'm I'm not complimentary of the band, but the back half of the album to me kind of sounds similar. There's just like a lot of like tonally, and then you hit Armistice, and it's all of a sudden now, like you said, like this, this tension is kind of introduced in that last song. But yeah, I would definitely say Lasso is up there for me. I mean, they're all good, though. They're all really, really good. Girlfriend's really good. They played, good. so they played all these songs live. We saw them in... Uh, at the at the Louisville Palace in uh, 2010, maybe they played every single song from this album. The standouts were, uh, I'll pick three standouts: "Listomania" to open. Mm. Um, I love that when a band opens with uh, the, the title opening track. Yes. Opening yep. track. Yeah. Uh, Lasso in Rome, Rome live. Oh, when bro, there's that like they did some cool light stuff so we got the benefit of of seeing the light show um if i had to pick one track from this album that i could keep and leave the rest to be armistice it always has been i've in my car in my car i've practiced like at a stoplight 
trying to get the patterns of the guitar clicks of the notes because mm. yeah. the, these 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 up and down strokes to get technical on you guys super technical they're so specific and they're not really intuitive but when they come together it makes so much sense but if you pull them apart and you're trying to like oh if i were to play this and i'm miming the guitar what would i do it's not easy so go home and go home and listen to armistice and try to like pretend you have a telecaster in your hand and you're trying to pick these little lead lines i did want to say one thing though about the about them being french and i found this interesting thomas mars their singer uh, this is an early interview, and he's probably been asked this a bunch of times. But you know why he was asked why English? You, know, you guys are all French. Yes. Hmm. And he said English is the language of pop music, just like Italian is the language of opera. So if we're gonna if we're gonna be a great pop hmm. band, why not do it in the language of pop music? And I think that, and he said that it has alienated, at least initially some of their French fans. I've heard mm. people say that like bands like bands from other countries say that English is music language. They call sure. it music language. Hmm. Especially uh, pop, especially right. lyrical yeah. pop music. Yeah. Um, there is I when I listen to the lyrics of the song, I think that might when I listen to the lyrics of the band that might have been the very first thing that tipped me off that they were from another country, mm. that they were French. And I don't really know how else to describe it to you aside from like when I hear a band that write that is from another country and they write lyrics in English and I listen to them and I'm kind of like, man, these don't line up. Like these don't mm. like they, they're not really they're not telling a story. They don't make a ton of sense to me. Um, and that's them. I think that's just a lot of the lyrics are just kind of nonsense. For instance, yeah, this, yes. For instance, album, in, in Listomania, is it Listomania that where, he's, where he says "Too late, too late, juggalate, juggalate"? Like I was listening to him because he one of the things he does is he repeats lines a lot, and mm -hmm. he said he does that as like a hook into the audience so that it sticks in your brain and stuff yeah. and just drives the nail home. But they're like, "Why did you pick this line?" juggalate and he's like you know what i don't know it i it just sounded cool i looked it up it means to kill by cutting or slashing someone's throat <laughs> like and i almost don't give a sh i'm almost like i don't care this is the care. exact opposite with pedro and and i don't give a sh what he says um <laughs> because as long as i can sing it back right and I don't even have maddie uh maddie healy from the 1975 does this where he'll use the lyrics are almost just to add texture. Right. And I would say he's a far better lyricist than Mars. Thomas Mars, but what you know, whatever. Um, it's almost like the the pacing and the like the staccato nature where it's kind of choppy, it's almost like a, like an instrument where it yes. doesn't it yeah. doesn't so much matter yeah. what he says but how he says it. Mm -hmm. Which I think yeah. I think Phoenix does that. Keith Buckley is like that in a totally different. It's very thing. hip. It's a very hip hop thing to me, yeah. where it's it's you know that sort of like you're using your 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 lyrics as a less to tell a story. I'm not. I, it's a that's a gross and, generalization. Yeah, it's like an instrument. It's an instrument. It's another like tonal um, layer. And this album for me, I don't love admitting this, but this is like a a phonetic album to me. 
if I'm singing along in the car, I'm not. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm, I always thought he said chocolate. Like he's just saying chocolate, but you know, I'm just kind of like making. I'm making the noises of what he's saying. The first 1975 Matt Healy, like I kind of do that sometimes there too. Uh, mostly because with Maddie, his his accent is so thick. But it's just like, again, it doesn't really matter. I don't care what you're saying. I don't care if you're talking about slitting someone's throat. This is an awfully fun song. It just doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's part of the the thing with this album that I just go like, there's so much about it that I love, but there's not this like, oh, this is like the sad track where he talks about you know, getting left by his wife, or this is like the one where he's angry. It's just like, no, just put it on and just like have a good time. I couldn't tell you what one song is about, and I do not care. Maybe a girlfriend, maybe Rome, or a lasso, or a fence. uh, Speaking of lasso, (laughs) my brother would like to, I asked him for notes since he wanted to be on this one, but he said, mention Ludwig von Moranis. He said, <laughs> uh, watch their 1901 debut and tell me he's not in fast forward. And the other thing he said was, re listen to Lasso and tell me he's not saying little asshole. You'll never hear the, the same way again. L I L apostrophe. Closing thoughts on Phoenix. I, for the very, very longest of times, I thought this album was just called Wolfgang Amadeus. And then on the on the album cover, it says Phoenix underneath it because that's the name of the band. I didn't know that the album was called Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix. Oh, really? Yeah. I was just like, oh, that's kind of funny and ironic. Um, on a different note, though, I will say I, I haven't done this like cataloging well recently, but I would definitely probably put this in my top 10 albums of all time. Good. Like on a, a desert island, I'm taking this one with me, no doubt. 36 minutes of pop madness it's only 36 36 minutes minutes. and it goes man 36 minutes of fun thank you phoenix thank you phoenix we'll try to wrap this up at the 36 minute mark. miss you right here miss you every day miss you every day hey this went well we could do this again right we're going to (laughs) tell us the albums that you guys want us to to review and we'll do it what should we what track should we end with what phoenix track would you end with and we're out.